Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We're on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. My name is Jeff Krasno. Now, today's lesson is an excerpt from my dear friend, mentor, just like the most wonderful guy in the world, Paul Hawkins' commune course on regeneration. Now, Paul is a legendary environmentalist and founder of Project Drawdown, a nonprofit dedicated to researching and promoting the top 100 technological, social, and ecological solutions to global warming. Now, if you feel paralyzed by the complexity and urgency for climate action, you are in the vast majority of humankind. So many of us feel eco-anxiety. We're afraid or confused about global warming and the future. Well, regeneration is about making that shift from frustrated passivity to being vibrantly involved in a way that makes sense to you, that energizes you, inspires you, and inspires others. Regeneration brings us together in ways we would like to be rather than pushing against the issues with shame and with blame. So today, Paul discusses an issue that is close to our skin, clothing. Now, if you happen to wear clothing, and not all of you may choose to do so, there is an infamous sign on the road to Commune Topanga that says, slow down or you'll miss all the naked people. But if you do choose to wear clothing, then this lesson includes some eye-opening information as well as practical steps for having a more regenerative closet. If you want more from the brilliant Paul, you can sign up for a free five-day pass to his commune course, Regeneration, at onecommune.com slash regeneration. That's onecommune.com slash regeneration. Enjoy the brilliant Paul Hawken. One of the biggest industries, uh, polluting industries, uh, is the clothing industry. And it's also one of the biggest contributors to global warming. Eight to 10% of annual emissions are due to the clothing industry. I didn't call it the fashion industry because there's two different industries there, fashion and clothing. Clothing is a human need. Fashion is a human want. So the first thing is to make a distinction when you're buying clothes, are you buying fashion or clothing? Um, <laughs> Because clothing is um, a durable, should be a durable good in the sense that you wear it a lot and you can wear it often and it will never go out of fashion because it was never in fashion in the first place. <laughs> and fashion is something that is um, uh, a current that is in, in your scene that way and your scene is being... Um, uh, able to either afford or even more so to understand what is fashionable at that time. The fashion industry became the fast fashion industry. Uh, 
And what it did was uh, look at runways and what was happening by the couturiers and actors and uh, models all around the world. And then as soon as they saw something that was starting to catch on with social media, uh, they were patterning and specking it and making it as fast as they could uh, in Bangladesh, you know, in Hong Kong, in Thailand, uh, in other countries, um, and getting it into the stores that within three weeks. So the, from the time they saw it to the time you could buy it was three weeks. Extraordinary productivity, you could say. And the corners they would cut to do that were just horrific, frankly. I'll give you an example. If you look at the dark satanic mills, the Hobbesian mills uh, of, uh, well, it's almost pre-industrial, but industrial uh, uh, England in 1800, um, these are textile mills. And um, the average pay for a man was one penny an hour. For women, a half a penny. For children, a half a woman. It's a quarter penny an hour. And usually families all had to work in order to survive, by the way. The, the husband, the wife, and the children. Okay. And they had to work uh, six days a week, uh, 12 to 14 hours a day, right, to survive. If you look at a penny an hour today, because the penny was basically denominated in silver and gold at that time, uh, we know exactly what that means today in today's dollars, which means they were earning 35 cents an hour at that time. If you look at the average pay of a garment worker in the world today, it's 35 cents an hour. In 221 years, a garment worker is getting the same pay they did in 1800. So there's your first, oh my gosh, about the clothing industry, right? And one of the things about it, especially fashion, is that people will get a contract that is a purchase order for this garment in this way, and this cut, and these sizes, and this many, and this schedule. And then they will subcontract out bits and pieces of it, parts, you know, and not like make it all in one place, you know, but parts and then assemble it and do this and so forth. And um, subcontractors will subcontract out as well. I mean, it's like, it is a myriad uh, uh, web of companies of which there is no health and safety regulations, nothing about child labor, nothing about pay conditions, nothing about uh, uh, sexual abuse, uh, and that is this dark, seamy underworld of the clothing business, all right? And now what's happened is the clothing industry has been called out on it, and so they're scrambling to, in a sense, renew their social license. Well, and what they're doing is to try to put on a new garment <laughs> of, 
of being socially conscious and responsible and even using the term regeneration in a couple of cases. But, um, and so the question is, how can you tell? Are they telling the truth? <laughs> Are they just um, greenwashing? You know, I don't think closed washing is the right term, but greenwashing in the sense of saying the things you want to hear and know. And in many cases, from what I've seen, that's exactly what they're doing. Uh, for example, H&M talks about taking in your garment and they're going to have these machines that break down the fibers uh, and then can reconstitute them into new garments. Cool. Excepting they haven't changed the amount of garments they're making whatsoever. They have 5,036 stores and every single week of the year or every other week of the year, uh, airplanes go out all over the world to deliver these clothes to the stores so that people are seeing new looks every two weeks as if there was 26 seasons every year instead of four or two or none. And um, so that rate of turnover is a rate of consumption that they are engendering. They're paying influencers to be the people who try to get you know, young people, primarily women or girls, you know, to demand those garments. So they, in a sense, are feeding uh, that ambition or that need to buy these clothes and, uh, and so forth. And then the supply chains in general, whether it's fashion or whether it's uh, fast fashion or fashion or whether it's the clothing industry, hasn't really looked at its supply chain seriously for a long time. Very few companies like Patagonia has, uh, certainly probably a leader in the world, um, Everlane now in San Francisco, um, Eileen Fisher in terms of durability and uh, the, the supply chain, but very few companies really took this to heart years ago and practiced it, learned, uh, found better suppliers, concerned about working conditions, who were uh, their contractors and so forth. And so right now there's a pylon of companies rushing to convince you that they're doing the right thing. And in many cases, by the way, these companies are. The problem isn't that they are, aren't or are. The problem is it's unaffordable. I mean, these are very small boutique companies, you know, that have never really been in the clothing business before or just starting and the costs are incredible. In other words, people can't afford it. And so we are in a situation now where we have to really learn how to make great clothing affordable. What's great clothing? Great clothing is clothing that you wear a hundred times, 200 times. It will hold up and it will hold up for you too in terms of you wanting to wear it, its functionality, its appearance, its warmth, uh, and you don't have to repair it, but if you do, you want to. Uh, and so we have to really um, move the clothing industry back to uh, durability in, in the sense that how, and to the extent that clothing can be a durable good, uh, and to supply chains that honor basically the farm, the soil, the farm workers, the people, the source of fibers, who's making it, 
what's put on it in terms of chemicals and dyes or what isn't being put on it, um, how it's being transported. Is it really being flown around the world in 747s, you know, or is it by boat or is it even better being made locally? Is it, you know, the fiber shed uh, model where you're actually, we think about localizing food production. The fiber shed movement is localizing clothing. So the fibers are coming locally, it's being spun and woven locally, it's being sewn locally, and it's being purchased and worn locally. So this is a really big change, you know, in our attitude uh, and our knowledge and understanding what clothing is, what it means to be clad, you know. Uh, and it's interesting that the word in best, uh, I think of, is actually in best. It means to put on a vest. <laughs> And so we should see clothing as an investment, not as uh, uh, an appearance. Of course, we want to appear wonderfully, the best we can, but it actually is, it is a true investment. And so we, there needs to be that symbiosis between the maker and the user. And we need to, um, you know, work towards a model, a consumer, if you will, or buyer model where that is understood but appreciated that that is good fashion. Good fashion is to wear things, um, that you've worn. I have, you know, <laughs> I have a garment I've worn now for 35 years and I wouldn't give it if I lost it, I would feel terrible. I would, um, I wouldn't give it up for the world. <laughs> you know, I think of the places it's been from Patagonia to Alaska to, you know, to Africa. I mean, I was so lucky to travel to the uh, top of the Tetons, you know, uh, in uh, Yellowstone, not Yellowstone, but in, in Wyoming, in the Teton National Park and and other places, been to Greenland, it's been, you know, I mean, it's been all over the world with me. And when I put it on, it's like I'm putting on memory, I'm putting on experience, I'm putting on a kind of a pal, like a friend, like a pet. <laughs> um, but that's the relationship we need to have with our clothing. We can't have that unless the clothing is very durable. And in this case, it is. It's made by Patagonia, you know, and it, it's, it, it's set out to be durable when it was made and it remains so to this day. When people talk about clothing and regeneration, it really comes right back to a simple thing. What does your closet look like? <laughs> Is it regenerative or degenerative? Um, just as f refrigerators are where food goes to die, <laughs> closet is where clothing goes to die. That is, it's purchased, it's worn once or twice, and that hangs there forever. And a regenerative closet is going to look like a combination of uh, clothing that has uh, is durable, that has been purchased for that reason, that is held up, that you use often. Uh, when needed, it can be cold weather clothing that you only use during the season, but, um, but you use it year after year after year. Okay. That can be 
clothing you've purchased. And then there's clothing that you purchase secondhand, which is people buy clothing and then decide they don't want it anymore. Or they grow out of it or they get bigger or they get smaller or they move. Uh, it, there's all sorts of reasons why people sell their clothing. One is because they have overstuffed closets and they realize they don't need it all. And so if you need clothing, if there's a type of clothing or something that you don't have and that it's in need, then if you buy it secondhand, uh, that would comprise a very important part of your closet. Uh, third would be you have a gala, you know, a prom, a party, I don't know what it is, you know, and you got to really doll up uh, or get your tux on or whatever, you rent it. So the clothing is used in a circular way, which is it's used for one night or one week or one day or one wedding or one graduation or whatever. And then it goes back to the rack and you pay for the use of the clothing. And fourth is really, I would say, clothing where you're encouraging somebody to continue what they're doing with fiber and clothing. Um, you have companies now that uh, are amazing in, in, in what they're doing, doing socially and agriculturally and working in a kind of restorative way uh, with garment workers uh, that have been exploited and uh, creating schools and creating opportunities for primarily women in terms of educating themselves as well as their children. Um, in terms of nutrition, making sure they have great food, making sure the working conditions are great. And then also companies that are really on the leading edge or, you know, of, of sourcing, you know, whether it be wool, uh, how are the sheep treated? Interesting question. There's some very interesting companies in Australia now who are completely changing the way sheep are treated. And then that wool is so different. How, uh, is the cotton grown? Cotton is one of the most, well, it is the most polluting agricultural product in the world in terms of pesticides. Um, and so how is it grown? By whom? Uh, linen, which is flax. Okay. Who's growing it? How is it processed? In other words, there are people just as in the food movement when it first, say, began, I don't know when you can really exactly say what date it started. That people started to grow food differently. They started to make different foods. They started to bake different types of bread. They started to create foods, wines even and so forth. They were biodynamic, etc. And they were kind of on the leading edge, you know. I mean, no one had made it before. No one bought it before. Nobody had done it that way before. And that's what you're seeing in clothing is companies that are out there, the leading edge, learning, taking a risk, uh, usually um, not very profitable <laughs> when you do that. Uh, you're internalizing costs that are externalized by virtually other, every other company you're competing with on, a, uh, on some level. And uh, you're learning how to uh, um, create a customer base, you know, that appreciates what you're doing and that understands that the incremental costs that you are paying for that coat, that jean, that shirt, that skirt, whatever it is, that dress, uh, is actually doing something substantive and generous and restorative in the world as opposed to just paying more for a look and a label.
That was Paul Hawken, environmentalist, entrepreneur, author, and activist. As Paul has told me over many a long dinner, regeneration is not just about bringing the earth back to life. It is, but it's also about bringing ourselves back to life, bringing our essence, our spirit, our sense of purpose back to life. It's about bringing meaning to our lives. If we are just pushing back against the ecological crisis with shame and endless blame and fear, we simply will not be inspired to make the personal changes that are so necessary. Paul's commune course, Regeneration, is your invitation to address the threat of global warming, not with specific steps you must do, but with a vision for living right now that brings you more joy and more meaning. Get a free five-day pass to the course at onecommune.com slash regeneration. And if you are enjoying hearing lessons from the Commune course platform right here on the podcast, then hit subscribe on your favorite podcatcher and leave us a review. Subscribers are always the first to know about new episodes and bonus content. And that's all from the Commune for this week. My name is Jeff Krasno, and I am here for you. Thank you.